Welcome back to another episode of the Reformation Red Pill Podcast. I am your host, Joshua Hames, and I am joined again in mm. the studio with... I'm Brooks Pottinger, pastor of Pilgrim Hill Reformed Fellowship in Goodlesville, Tennessee, this week for a change to snowy Goodlesville, Tennessee, which has been kind of a treat. It's been kind of fun. Yeah, I fun. like it. Yeah. I like the snow. A lot of people don't like the snow. Yeah, yeah. I like the you're snow. You're shedding your California skin. You're, you're able to endure it some. I guess there's Big Bear in California. I know, so. man. Good times. Know, good times. <laughs> um, so, all right. Every other week, as you guys know, as you faithful, faithful fans of our show That's know. Right, all three of them. I think we got five at this okay, point. I've gotten okay, five messages of people who just are just delighted in the Reformation <laughs> Red Pill podcast. So, as you guys well know, every other week we cover a topic, and on the off week, we do an Ask Pastor Brooks episode mm. where we um, ask Pastor Brooks yeah. things. Some. We ask him <laughs> stuff and things about other stuff. And uh, last Ask Pastor Brooks episode, we did the whole episode on the topic of modesty. Mm -hmm. With my wife. With your wife. What a delight oh, it was. She is the best ever. We, I, I had people saying, I will watch more if yeah, you get her on. I get it. She's worth watching. She's brilliant and wonderful and... Praise God for her. All right, we need to think of some excuses to have her back <laughs> on. So so we did that on the topic of modesty, which good gravy, for whatever reason. Just non-controversial, right? Yeah, totally non-controversial. <laughs> you know, it's funny. It's like I know that that's, you know, it's a bit – like I knew beforehand, mm -hmm. oh, that's a bit controversial, but I didn't realize oh, – yeah. It for whatever reason the topic of female modesty mm -hmm. it pokes the idol right in the eye. It is a poke right in the Boom. eye, yeah. and it's <laughs> it's like a core fundamental oh. like visceral response oh, you yes. get all the vitriol. Yeah, it's it's it, it really is interesting. I mean, it's it's uh, as as we've heard it said. If you're getting that much flack and that much gunfire, perhaps you're over the target. Yes, <laughs> yeah. Somehow modesty really is right at the core of that mm -hmm. feminist. Well, it's, it's right at the center of the idol of individualism. Yeah. How dare anybody tell me how I present myself? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, not only that, but me as a victim of the patriarchy, mm -hmm. right? Right. So, which we'll get into patriarchy in the coming episodes. I'm excited about yeah. that. So, go check out that that uh, modesty episode. It is worth checking out for sure. Last week, we did uh, dark roast or light roast Calvinism to dark roast reformed. And this week on the Ask Pastor Brooks episode, we're getting down to basics. <laughs> all right. We are getting down to uh, as basic as it gets for Pastor Brooks. Yeah. We are asking Pastor Brooks, who is? Who am I? Why are you the way that you are? Yeah. <laughs> so who is Pastor Brooks and what was your Reformation yeah. red pill journey like? What brought you into light roast Calvinism and from mm -hmm. light roast Calvinism to dark roast reformed? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, starting, I guess, at the beginning, I was uh, born in Pennsylvania, uh, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. That's where my, my people are from. Um, moved to Florida when I was uh, six, Florida for about 25 years. And then I was uh, in California for about three and a half years. Um, then now in Tennessee going on seven years. So that's just kind of the, the plot points uh, in my journey. Um, by the grace of God, I, I was born into a Christian believing household, which I am just so, so thankful for. Um, raised um, really just Southern Baptist mega church, kind of right down the middle uh, type of thing. And again, so, so grateful for that. Um, I uh, was, um, got into the band world 
for a little while. Oh, yeah. Oh, this yes. is one of my favorite little uh, side quests <laughs> of Pastor Brooks Like Potiger. one of the trivia questions for yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Um, I won't go into that too much other than to say that that was my life for about a decade. Um, and well, can we go into it just a I mean, little you can try. bit? We'll see. We'll just see. a little. Okay. One, okay. One story about Pastor Brooks oh, boy. that, uh, that just touched me to my soul when I just moved here and I was kind of like, who is this guy that I'm following that I'm coming under as my pastor? We went to a presbytery meeting and, uh, he told me a fun fact for, for, for you out there who are fans of the hardcore world. Oh yeah. That's where I, that's man, where I'm I Tampa, would live. Florida, baby. Yeah. That's the I was home at the of, heartbeat of it. Oh man. Who, I mean, that's, uh, what is it? Not for today's from there, but, uh, uh, rem, um, what is it? You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Not sure if I do oh, yet. Oh, come on. Uh, this is the weirdest name that tune ever. Oh like, yeah, it is. It is. It is. <laughs> anyway. Uh, so uh, that's going to remember. Anyway, um, I'll, that'll be playing in the background yeah, and we'll whatever it. in post. Okay. So, but, uh, he told me that, uh, well, I, well, I want you to tell, I want you to tell our audience, um, how you told me about the name of a certain oh, band. Oh, yes, yes. So the, the fun fact is I, uh, I came up with the band name Under Oath. Golly. And that is actually a true fact. Even the, They may not even remember it, but I, it, it, it is true. Actually, I'm, I'm sure that Tim would and Aaron would. Um, so 14 years old, um, starting an awesome hardcore band, obviously. Um, and was just trying to come up with some band names. I was playing bass. Uh, my brother was playing drums. Um, this dude named Luke was playing guitar. That's a, that's the guitarist name. That's what's up. Yeah. yeah. And back in the day, the way you did it, this is how you came up with band names. Mm. Is you just got the Bible yeah. and you just started to see like what words like looked cool <laughs> together. And there's an, a certain epistle. I, th- I think it's Thessalonians where Paul p- puts them under oath to have this read to the other churches Let's as well. Go. And that, I said, that sounds awesome. And I was right. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, you are. So Under Oath became the kind of working title for our little three practices in hardcore band. Um, I think my brother and Luke got in an argument about something. So he's like, forget y'all. I'm going to get some other people. Uh-huh. And then he got some other people and started the band Under Oath. And here's another fact. Luke got Under Oath tattooed on his neck. And within a year, he was out of the band. Oh, <laughs> that's tough. Hate so, to anyways, see that. yeah, that's um, fun fact. But uh, where where were we? I guess I was talking about myself. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's an important thing for you yeah. guys to know about Pastor Brooks. <laughs> I think it is kind of fun. Um, so, yeah. Anyways, d- d- did the band thing. Um, and you know what? What's true about the band world is it really is kind of like this breeding ground for Peter Pan syndrome, Never Never Land type of things where you. Um, push back responsibility for a long time, thinking that your Les Paul is going to make you a millionaire, um, which anybody with eyes in their head and ears in their head could tell you that's not going to work out, but (laughs) we didn't have ears to hear. Um, (laughs) And yeah, and so I just kind of drifted for um, some years there, um, even just regretfully so, um, was, was still would have called myself a Christian, but was not living at all under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Um, And then, uh, I guess around 2000 or 2010 for me, it would have been maybe 2009. There was this brash pastor out of Seattle, Washington, who was um, yelling at, at young men. And um, I was one of the guys he was yelling at. Uh, and uh, day to remember. Yeah. Oh, the, ba- <laughs> the day to remember the, the band name or what you're saying about both, my, re- okay, both of both. those things. <laughs> wow. That's okay. so meta. Wow. Um, there you go. Yeah. yeah. That, that is, that is like scratching that itch. It yeah. feels good. Yeah. Got it. <clears throat> 
Yeah. And so that obviously was, was Driscoll. Yeah. And so I started like a million other guys in, in my walk was starting to listen to, to Mark Driscoll because it, it was, um, this masculine, um, straightforward, um, rebuke that we mm. knew that we needed. How old are you at this point? Um, at this point, I'm probably 25, okay. maybe, um, s- somewhere around there, maybe, maybe 26. And where are you or, at this point? Somewhere between 25 and 27. Uh, in Orlando, Florida at that time. And um, also, he was articulating the gospel in a way that I, that I had never never heard before. Yeah. Like, it, it really was good news for my bad news. Mm. Like, he's calling out all of our idols, all of our lusts, everything, pointing directly at him and saying, this is shameful. This is mm. unworthy of an image bearer. <laughs> um, you need to repent. And by the way, Christ forgives that. That's the whole reason he came. Good news for guys like you. Mm. And um, it, it was one of those things. I remember um, Driscoll on, um, I forgot what show it was, but he said, it's the weirdest thing. I, um, a guy will come to a, a service, I'll punch him in the face, and then he'll leave and get his friends and bring them back to get punched <laughs> in the face next week. And, and uh, it was true. I, I thank God for his ministry, obviously not not a perfect man. Um, yeah. None of us are, but he was the 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 voice in the masculine wilderness in that season for so many. And uh, he was like the Jordan Peterson yeah, phenomenon yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, but actually bringing the gospel As, to bear exactly. And yeah. so, as far as my introduction to anything reformed at all mm. um, was through Driscoll and through his teaching, and then through his book um, Doctrine, mm-hmm. which, which was uh, helpful. Yep. And then um, from there, he he kind of became this. Um, gateway drug is weird, weird way to say it to, um, RC Sproul. Uh, I can't remember the first time I was introduced to Sproul. I know, uh, Driscoll did a, an interview with them, but I think it was through my brother that I first encountered Sproul mm. and, um, the holiness of God. I mean, it absolutely wrecked me. Mm. I mean, I, 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 it was just such an important word for that moment where it wasn't just reformed theology in the abstract, but putting God and his holiness at the front and center of all things. And then you just shutting your mouth and adoring this holy God mm. um, and astonished at, at his grace towards someone like you. I mean, mm. it's, it's the whole Calvin thing. There's two primary sources of knowledge. It's knowledge of God and then knowledge of man. Right. And the way you can truly understand yourself is by getting to know something about what God has revealed about himself. Yep. And the most essential thing about who God is, is his holiness, mm. his entire otherness and man we should do we should honestly just do a whole episode on holiness and the fear of god that is so lost on yeah, our culture it is in, in our evangelical that world it, yep i mean th- that is the corrective i, I mean, you I, get that back in ten thousand things automatically shift it, into place it, it really I, does i remember i was before we shut down the church in in los angeles i preached a sermon on the fear of god and i read um uh, Bunyan's mm-hmm. Fear of God. Fear of God. Yeah. Phenomenal, by the way. Go please read Bunyan's Fear of God. Little short book. But in studying for that sermon, realizing uh, the Bible calls you to fear God, I think like twice as much, if not more, than it tells you to love God. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. And we've just totally lost that. Mm-hmm. You know, um, yeah. I think that's that's huge. So So anyone, I think right now, and really over the last decade, who's been Bring, coming back to the holiness and teaching us how to fear God, that's, you're right, that's the corrective that the we need. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Yes, just read that today in Job. That's the starting point. Yeah, 
Yeah. And and we are a people who have who have lost the fear of the Lord. And we've become incredibly unwise. Entirely by our feelings. Yeah. Um, mm. and not not by the fear of the Lord. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, continue, continue. Yeah. So holiness of God was was, was huge. Um and then that I'm not sure if it was the chicken or the egg, if it was if it was Sproul or Piper that actually came first, but right around that time was also Desiring God by yeah. John Piper, which it was just so paradigm shifting for me. Mm. Um, this, uh, I think growing up, um, I would have said probably the gospel is Jesus died so that I don't have to go to hell, which that's good news as far as it goes. Um, but as far as what the Christian life actually was, I probably would, I, I wouldn't have said it overtly, but I felt the Christian life was trying really hard to not do the things I really wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. it's really this white knuckling affair of just really trying to not follow my passions. Yeah. And then Piper comes along <laughs> and um, offers this perspective that what if God really is more for your joy ultimately than, than you are? Mm. What if he is the happiest being in the world? Um, what if he is calling you further up and further in um, towards eternal felicity and towards life and joy and, and good things. Mm. Um, it's, it's the whole Lewis quote, um, from, um, uh, the weight of glory. Um, we are half hearted creatures fooling about with drinks, sex, and ambition while infinite joy is offered to us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he doesn't know what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We're just far too easily pleased. Mm. And so that's, I think that whole book could probably be said as a unpacking of, of what Lewis is getting at yeah. there. And so that was just like walk, I, you know, I use the Narnia wardrobe thing a lot, but it was truly walking through that wardrobe and everything being bright and the birds chirping and mm. the horizon exciting. Um, and so I, I'm just so thankful for Piper and who's so impactful and formative in, in um, my development there. Um, so that was your introduction into light roast Calvinism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and, and about 2012 is is when I really, um, for the first time, felt called um, to um, perhaps pastoral ministry. I, I remember I was taking a, a group of guys through the book by Driscoll Doctrine, mm. and it really was this "oh crap" feeling. Mm. Like, wait, am I being called to be a pastor? <laughs> well, let me let me let me. I want to hone in on that a little bit. What did what did that look like? Mm-hmm. You say I felt called to it. There's a lot of people, especially young guys who are trying to sort out yeah. their calling. What what was that like for you? Yeah, yeah. So I, I think it, it was during that that season that um I mean what the Lord was doing in me during that what was so so impactful that I really was wondering, did I just get saved for the first time? Um not now I would not understand it in those categories at all. I would say, no, you're actually starting to mature <laughs> mm. uh, a little mm. bit. You and know. that you're referring to kind of a, a, a different view of yeah. the covenant. Correct. Right? Right. Okay. I, I was a baptized Christian. I had confessed faith in Christ. Yeah, I had a wilderness season, um, but um, I was Christ's. Uh, mm. I, that's how I, I would understand that. That's I, We need to get into that. We will get into that in future episodes, especially on the baptism mm-hmm episode that we'll that we'll be doing soon but that's something i'm still trying to recategorize categorize in my mind yeah. coming to obviously the same convictions of um this covenantal way of viewing yeah. and and where we don't try to pin down the point of regeneration right. because that's a mystery right 
John three, mm-hmm. you know, it's like the wind. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, and this is why I want to get into it. We, we don't have time to get into all in, all up in it this this episode. But for me, it's similar to your experience. What it sounds like at eighteen was such a profound mm-hmm. uh, change yeah. that I'm. I, I still am tempted to say that's when I was regenerated. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Even though I'm coming into this view. So I still struggle with, cause I, I didn't love God's word. I didn't mm-hmm. desire him deeply. And then I did, um, all the while, as you said, I was still a baptized Christian. Mm-hmm. And so do you have any thoughts on that? Just for at the upfront? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, um, before we, we'll go a whole episode on it. Sure. Don't worry guys. But I, I, I know a lot of guys are thinking through this, through this yeah. right now too. I think, um, I'm just very comfortable living within the the mystery Mm. of regeneration as far as the timetable goes. I'm not comfortable pinning down the moment. I'm very comfortable living within the Westminster Confession, chapter 28.6, where they they leave space for that mystery of, could regeneration happen at the moment of of baptism? Um, Of course. Could Mm. it have already happened? Of course. Mm. John the Baptist left in the womb. Um, but they say, um, according to God, God's timing in, in the out, I can't remember the, I read it this morning. <laughs> I can't remember the exact language, but essentially this is not just a symbol, but it's an assurance that, that this is a promise of God, that he will work out all of this mm. in his mysterious timing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we say, yeah, we, we believe that we, we don't feel like we need minute date second mm. of, of the moment of regeneration. But I would also say it, it could have been, yeah. Um, okay. It could have been. I th- that's helpful to hear. Like yeah. th- that, that may have very well have been, but, but I was living in the, in the, I was living as a Christian who mm-hmm. was uh, functionally apostatized mm-hmm. before that. Right. Yeah. You're right. So you, your baptism still had it, implications for you. You had an obligation that mm. the pagan didn't, all men have an obligation to repent to the Lord Jesus Christ. But the fact that you were baptized even more so, mm-hmm. um, that, there was, yeah, this this call to you. Again, this can get into Hebrews 6 stuff, but that's not really probably where we're going here. Um, but that um, that's how I... I Th- that's helpful. Yeah. We can get into the rest <laughs> of it in a future episode, but that's those are helpful categories for people who are, especially people who are just coming into this, yeah, who are yeah. trying to reframe their own story. Because when you shared your story like that, it just, like, I re- relate to that, and I'm still trying to figure out how to talk about my own story mm-hmm. in light of covenant theology and this understanding of being born into the covenant sure, family of God sure. and stuff like that. And it's a mystery. Yeah. It, it, it is a mystery. For, for instance, um, now we are going on the tangent. Um, Paul was convinced that Demas was regenerate. Paul two times sent greetings on behalf of his gospel partner, Demas. Mm. And then Paul's final letter at the very end, Demas has abandoned him. Oh, um, yeah. So what do you do with that? Um, it just, yeah, it, it keeps us humble. And it says every morning we wake up and we confess our faith in, in Christ again. Ours um, is to look at the fruit and like, especially as pastors and elders to look at the fruit and that's where church discipline mm-hmm. and all that comes in. Yeah. That's super helpful. Let's, let's move on because we'll do a whole episode yeah, on this. Yeah. So, um, so, and it's, it's really funny because my, my grandpa was a missionary and a pastor and he, he had encouraged me, um, kind of down, down that path um, when I was younger. And as, uh, as he was right to do, I, I so appreciate it. I, I actually, remember and, and and I think he saw through the band stuff knowing like this is a Peter Pan syndrome stuff. <laughs> but I remember a moment where where he just looked me in the eye and said, Brooks, um, just remember that God doesn't have any grandchildren. And and his point was don't don't think that you're automatically in because of George Kibler. Like 
you need to own this. And I'd love that. I just edited one of your old sermons um, mm. for our YouTube and I came across that, yeah. that quote again. And, and that is, it's such a great like nugget mm-hmm. of just like concentrated mm-hmm. wisdom. Yeah. You and, know? and it's a good counterweight to the presumption that could come right. with covenantal thinking. That's right. If you don't, you, you have an obligate, you're not just automatically go to heaven free, get out of hell free card. Mm-hmm. You have to take hold of this by personal faith in Christ. And um, that stuck with me, man. Yeah, that that stuck with me. Um, I, I knew that he knew what he knew that he was touching on something specific that I understood what he was yeah. trying to do. Yeah. Um, and it felt almost felt like in that going back to the 2012 in that book study, like the the lasso of my grandpa's prayers had finally like caught me right? and was starting to. I to, love that's I love rein that. me in. Yeah. Um, and as far as what that calling felt like, it went from a very clear shift in great excitement about the gospel, great excitement about gathering men to share this with them to a a jealousy for these men Mm. and a jealousy for their marriages and a jealousy for, for their growth and godliness. Not, Mm. I didn't want to just impart information, but, but I was jealous for, for their souls. I was jealous for their sanctification. Um, felt a, a pastoral love and responsibility that was, starting to kick up in me. And so that's part of how I knew. Um, I believe that the Lord was calling me. I entered into a, a pastoral internship um, in um, in 2012 in, in Orlando with a, an incredibly gracious church, gracious pastor who, who was just taking this um, guy who was super green, should have been far, way farther along than he was, <laughs> but um, in God's providence, that's, that's where I was. And, and um, they brought me in and um, I spent a season there um, at a at cross point doing, um, this is in Orlando doing some ministry. That's where I had the first opportunity to, to preach and was thankful for that. So then comes 2014, I, th- uh, no, the end of 2013. I, um, during that time I was getting a master's in apologetics as well. Finished the master's up, finished the internship up. And, uh, and then comes 2014, 20, um, I'm trying to figure out what the next step yeah, yeah. is going to be. Is it vocational ministry? I, I don't know. And uh, there's an interesting story here. I don't think I've told this to you be- before. Ooh, I'm excited. Yeah. Here we so go. So have I told you the Driscoll ghostwriting story? No. Okay. So, But that's a good title. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I'm trying to figure out what the next uh, step is. And um, I see that um, um, Mars Hill and, and that whole resurgence world was looking for a staff writer. And I thought I can write things. And that's when I was, you know, kind of fully into what they were doing. My, my brother lived out in Seattle, was going to, to Mars Hill as well. Mm-hmm. And so the, the thought of being part of that world was um, enticing uh, to me. I, it would have been exciting to, to, to be a part of that. And my pastor knew a guy on the board of X29. So he kind of got my resume um, mm-hmm. front and center to them. And they said, okay, yeah, um, we're, we're, yeah, we'll, we'll give you a shot to, to, to consider this. So my my first part of the interview process before I met them was to ghostwrite a blog for Driscoll. Um, not, now it's not I don't think they actually ever published it, but it was this would be one of your tasks. Yeah, let's see how you do. And so they they gave me his manuscript from the week prior um, and just gave me the topic like it's supposed to be on personal legalisms and um, just write a blog using that his material and just craft something that. And um, like, okay, it was actually pretty good. It was very driscoll The The title was uh, Legalism. You should take this personally. <laughs> um, I felt <laughs> so, awesome. so proud of that. 
And so, um, yeah, I, I sent it to them. And I, I kind of thought, hmm, that seems a little strange. It's weird. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I, I mean, it's kind of his stuff, but I, I wrote this, but it's my name's not on it at all. But whatever. I guess that's just what you do. And, uh, and I, I, I trusted them, you know, so I, I didn't really think much of it. But <laughs> in the providence of God, it was that week that I was flying out for the interview in person that the ghostwriting stuff hit the fan with Driscoll. Wow. And so one of the central controversies in the evangelical world that week is literally what I was going to, to interview for. <laughs> and so I am just so like, what the heck? So oh. this is the fascinating part. Um, it might even well, that tell, wasn't the fascinating no, part. Here th we go. This might even make you a charismatic. Um, <laughs> it's the night I'm in Seattle. I'm at my, uh, my mom and stepdad lived out there during that time as well. I'm at their house. The next morning is when I'm going into the uh, Mars Hill warehouse to interview. And I say to them, I just don't know what industry standard is. That's, that's my language. I, I'm not in the writing world. I don't know what industry standard is. <laughs> this is true, I promise. John Piper tweets within the, the hour, if industry standard is lying, then reject it. Oh, my <laughs> Slain in the spirit. Oh. Come and on. So here I'm, I'm got Driscoll on one side, then Piper <laughs> on the other side. Um, and, and Piper made the point, too. I had never even considered it. But that he, Paul didn't even write Romans. Tertius wrote Romans. And at the end, Tertius even says, and by the way, I wrote this with my own hand. I say hi as well. Wow. And, um, and Piper was like, bro, if Paul can give Tertius a shout out, who are you to not let the, the so man, that's a true story. So I, I am um, long story short interview for the process. It became very clear. This is not something that I want to be a part of yeah, um, in, wow. in that capacity. So they offered me the job. I ended up turning it down. Was, was that kind of a moment uh, for you? I don't know. Uh, an was, aha moment yeah. for that whole world. That it I was. think what is it? Uh, Kings Hall guys, they call it the big, fast, famous model mm. where you, you're literally giving your skills to bolster a personality, mm -hmm. a, a pastoral personality yeah. so that all the ministry can revolve around that man. Yeah. So that was, that was, that was, you said that's kind of your turning point away from that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it was a moment, a, a disenchanting moment. Yeah. I mean, it was yeah. very clear that I was just going to be a cog in a machine. Um, that was just meant to produce. I mean, the wow. Um, I won't go into it. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, yeah. it, it. I left disenchanted. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um. And um. Where do we go from here? Uh. Yeah. In, in the providence. <laughs> yeah. Well, from there, I'm still trying to figure out what the next season is. And um, my pastor in Orlando knew a pastor who was from Florida who had planted a church in Pasadena, California, several years uh, prior. Mm who was uh, looking for someone who could do music. Um, and that is something I, I could do. Um, and so long story short, um, FaceTimed with, with the guy, Pastor Chuck, and uh, felt called uh, to go out to Pasadena to, to saddle up next to him for a season. Nice. And, um, yeah, and so I, I did that. And um, so that's kind of how I... And when did you leave Pasadena? Yeah, so that... Is, this is a whole nother story. Yeah. Do, do we have time for this? We got plenty of time. <laughs> the people, they're, they're tuned in for yeah, this. I can tell. Um, yeah. So how, how did I get from Pasadena to Nashville? So this is a juicy story, guys. Yeah, you guys I mean, ready this, for this? <laughs> well, rewind real quick. In, in 2011, 
um, I, I led a, a dear friend to the Lord, um, uh, just an amazing story of, of God's grace, shared the gospel and the brother believed, and it was amazing. Mm. And, uh, his name was Christian. Um, my, my children have said, um, why did it take him so long to know his, his name was Christian? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so good. But, um, I moved out to Pasadena. They move up to, to Nashville and um, won't, won't go into all of it, but long story short, they, they connect me um, to um, a dear friend of the, uh, theirs. They, um, um, Christian's wife sent me a picture of this beautiful gal from, from uh, uh, Nashville, Tennessee that I, I needed to, to, to know about and talked to Christian about her. Um, and it turned out that she had been widowed the, mm. the year prior and uh, had three kids. And, and uh, so long story short that, um, How old uh, are you at this point? Thir- uh, thirty-three, just turning thirty-four. Okay. Yeah, and so I, I am um, living that Cali dream. Yeah, that's right. Bachelor in California, um, <laughs> and then so I kind of get the the intel on on this this gal, and I reach out to her, um, and realize very quickly that that this is this is what the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our sight mm-hmm. that that was on our um, wedding. Um, bulletin and uh yeah um so the lord brought laura uh, to me um and her children in in that story that very hard story that that um, he was writing f- uh, for them mm. um and she was just the most amazing gal i had ever encountered it was really sweet how similar what the lord had done in, in her heart her life um her discipleship over the last decade was um so mapped on to, to mine as well. She's just a couple of years ahead of me. <laughs> um, but it was calls little, you higher. Yeah. 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 It, oh, that's, that's for sure. Oh yeah. Um, but s- swapping obscure J.I. Packer quotes and, and like, <laughs> you are the same kind of weird as I am. Like I can't have this conversation with anybody else. Yeah. Um, and so that's 2017. I, I left Pasadena, um, to come and to, to marry Laura and to, to, to come and serve these children. And, um, yeah, so that's how I got to Nashville, Tennessee. That's so good. And so what, when in the midst of that did you, so, you know, you got into what we are calling light roast Calvinism yeah. with uh, the Driscoll Piper yeah. kind of crowd. Yeah. And when did you make that shift mm-hmm. from just Calvinistic to the, like we call it, the dark roast yeah. Calvinistic confessional covenantal? covenantal yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, um, within probably a month or a month and a half of being married, we got pregnant. Um, yeah. Here we go. That's right. So we, ha- we have um, Providence, which is our first biological ch- um, child. And um, so zoom out. That means within one year's time, I go from being a bachelor in, in California, in Los Angeles, to part of a family of six people, myself included, in Hendersonville, Tennessee, within one year's time. Yeah. <laughs> Talk about existential whiplash. Yeah. And so I am immediately thrust mm. into this head of home role. And it's not theoretical. Right. Um, I mean, this is the real deal. Um, and so I was trying to play some catch up on, on some of that of, of, yeah. So it really, I was familiar with, uh, with uh, Doug Wilson um, before that. And so appreciated his work, um, but started reading Standing on the Promises um, a book that he wrote about biblical child rearing, mm. um, which has a thoroughly covenantal uh, framework. Right, uh, um, and that was a huge. That that's that was probably step one into my baby baptizing yeah. journey. Honestly, yeah. Yeah. yeah, because we we talked about last time um, 
how when you, your operating system by default is dispensationalism, one of the impacts of that is you don't take hold of the promises that God made to Israel um, as firmly as, mm-hmm. as I believe we should. Right. And, and we are the people of God. Yeah. And, and so um, one, one verse, for instance, in particular that he um, puts forward in, in that book is Psalm 103, 17 through 18, which says, the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his, his commandments. And so all of these promises of God for not just me, but for my children mm. started to just come off the page in three dimensions. Um, that was just such a blessing in that season, um, especially because our, our journey has its own challenges to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and to know that, no, God has made promises to, to you and to your family and to your children. Mm. Um, you don't have to parent with your fingers crossed. Mm. You parent um, in faith, in the promises of God for you and for your people mm. um, as you seek to serve him and to honor him and to teach them. And so that book really affixed this covenantal lens that started, you then go back into the Bible with it and you start to see it everywhere. Yeah, that book was huge for me, especially when he got into, and we don't need to get into it on this episode too too deeply, but when he got into kind of explaining the idea that God has promises for our children, because what we, the reason people reject that is because kids apostatize. Mm -hmm. And we see that, Mm -hmm. that happens, you know? And so, there, then we explain that away to mean, well, therefore, those promises must not actually be for us. Right. Because I've seen people apostatize. Right. You know, but he could, and you can, you can respond to this if you have a, you know, a elevator response to yeah, it. But yeah. I remember reading that chapter and him talking about how those promises still do apply to us. And it really just blew my mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, they, they, they absolutely, absolutely do. And, um, but they're, they're not given in a vacuum. Right, there are covenant obligations as That's well. The part people really don't the like, parents. yeah, but they're they're just right there, even in that text. Um, to those who keep covenant and remember to do his mm. commandments, mm. Um, and so yeah, that there is a very real responsibility that God has called parents to do in rearing their children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. Mm. Now that has no power to save at all in itself. Right, we are completely right. impotent to save our children. But God has said, I will bless your efforts and use them to be an instrument mm-hmm. in the, the the covenant going forward, in the gospel, and in, in you having a gospel legacy. Mm. Um, it has nothing to do with you doing that in your own power. I just w- am gracious enough to bless your imperfect efforts. To, that's to a, And that's exactly it. And, and being reminded that uh, it's not that you're raising your child right, like you said, is what saves. It's not your work that saves them, but... Whenever he he gave the category of your primary primary work is faith, right? But faith always leads to action. Exactly, and faith, true faith, always, always leads right, to action. Right, Absolutely, right. And so that was that was a huge kind of shift for me. That was like, there's so many people who say, well, you know, I, I've seen Joe's kids. Joe's a Christian, and he mm-hmm. raises kids, and they apostatize. Well, what do I do with that? And I remember this man, it was like a gut-wrenching kind of gut punch kind of moment when I was reading that book when it was, he gave the illustration of someone's kids apostatize, Joe, Christian Joe's kids apostatize. And what our temptation is to go to them and say, oh man, oh, you did your best. You know, what Mm -hmm. can we do? You just, you you did your best. We can just pray for them. 
And he knows that he didn't do his best. Mm -hmm. You know, he, he knows that. And so it's like putting a Band-Aid like on a stump leg, right? It's to say you did your best. Because what he, what he needs right there is not hollow encouragement. Mm -hmm. He needs to repent mm -hmm. for f the, the, all the areas that he's failed to disciple right. his child so that he can receive the grace of forgiveness. Right, and, and even if he can't articulate exactly where he went wrong, part of being the covenant head of home is taking responsibility. It's, and exactly. So, and so it's to as, as painful as that is before the Lord, I own that. I, mm. I take responsibility for that. This, this is Job 1, where he's mm -hmm. offering sacrifices on behalf of his children who are partying because it could have been that, that they have um, disgraced the name of the Lord in, in what they're doing. Mm. Um, this is a picture of a man who is taking responsibility for his children. Mm. And um, that's, a, that's a heavy thing, but that's, um, that's what we're called to. And um, God really is incredibly gracious when the covenant head of home will say, um, it may not be my fault, but it's my responsibility. Mm. And oftentimes it is more of our fault yeah, <laughs> than, than we, we would wanna, even admit. Yeah. Or, or can even recognize, right? right? Um, so getting back to it, you're, you're, you're now in the <laughs> deep end of going yeah. from no covenant head of household responsibilities mm -hmm. to a household of six yeah. with more to come soon. Yeah. And, uh, and to be clear, at, at that time, it's six total in the family, me and Laura and then four kids. Right. But then since then, we've added two more. So, yeah. So there are six um, total. Um, but Six, um, man, that's so Yeah. That's so and and so I, I think that just really set me on this journey of understanding covenant theology, of understanding um, pedo-baptism and the arguments for it. And, and it really <laughs> culminated in um, kind of a waking up one day and saying, Oh, I'm Presbyterian. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's what that word means. It's yeah. it's all the things that I've been starting to. And where uh, was where was Laura at in this journey? It's really funny you ask because I when I finally was like, okay, Laura, I think we need to baptize our babies. She's like, oh yeah, I've always thought that made more sense. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh well. Now you tell me. I Thanks. told you she's always Thanks. a couple years yeah. ahead of me, but she she didn't take any convincing at all. She mm. um she was very suspicious that we discipled towards doubt and towards an emotional response by this rebaptizing and rebaptizing. Mm. And she never felt comfortable with letting an emotional decision that was made in a situation that was meant to be very emotionally charged yeah. being the indicator of regeneration. Minor or, chords and dark light. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. It's like, no, she's already thought covenantally. Mm. That's um, good. That's good. Yeah. So that was kind of, that's how you ended up. That was your journey into dark roast was the responsibilities that you were thrust into. Mm -hmm. Now I need to figure this out. And then yeah. by the grace of God, he kind of, well, in the midst of that, who were your, your you mentioned Doug Wilson mm -hmm. standing on the promises. Who were some of your major influences as you got Reformation red pill, yeah. you know, and maybe who were, who were those influences and maybe what are some of the resources that stick out to you as incredibly important mm -hmm. in your in your journey. Yeah, yeah. I think first and foremost, as far as pedo baptism goes, um, Wilson's book, um, to a thousand generations. Mm. I mean, stay far, far away from that book if you want to stay credo, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> At least for me. I mean, I it was like fireworks going off every chapter um in in ways that I had never understood. And it, and it actually made sense for the category of apostatizing. Mm. Um, I had never actually heard, you know, where I come from, you do, we kind of just flip past those Hebrews 6 and Hebrews 10 passages yeah. pretty quick and, and others um, that say, no, those who it would have appeared were in the church are not in the church anymore. Yeah. Well, either you can lose your salvation, um, which we don't believe, 
or we need a, another category. And that's, yeah, people who were, in a sense, part of the church, but now are no longer. Um, that's so funny you say that. I uh, It was a couple of weeks ago I was on Twitter because that exact, that was, I think that may have been what finally pushed me over the edge into Pedo baptism. Mm-hmm. I had a guy on Twitter who he was, I, I had, I did some kind of baptism, a post about pedo baptism. Yeah. And he's like, I've been tracking with you on your, all your other stuff on here on Twitter. But then you get to this baptism thing and you know, I'm a Calvinist. I don't really understand how that makes sense of perseverance of the saints. Mm-hmm. And I just yeah. typed out this big, long message that was basically like, funny that you asked that. That's one of the main reasons that convinced me of the covenant position, the pedo-baptistic position, because I think that uh, this covenant category, this you've got um, pagan and you've got covenant Christian, and then there's also a category where you can be in the covenant but not regenerate. We don't know who those people are, mm-hmm. but that category mm-hmm. makes sense, like you said, of all the apostatization. Yeah. Um, and it's the category of visible and invisible church. Exactly. And, and There I sh- is an objective... It- Visible church. Mm-hmm. I'm all baptized Christians. Right, right. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. So I shared that with them, and uh, I basically was like, "That's this is what makes sense of all the passages where it looks like someone's losing their right. salvation. They went out from us because they were not of us. Exact. Or the, the Hebrews passage mm-hmm. that they abused the mm-hmm. blood of they the— They trampled underfoot the, um, the blood, the blood, of, blood the of the covenant by which they were sanctified. Wow. These are people who had participated— in, in the, the whole, blood of the covenant. Yes, and the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And the whole, that is wild. So I I, I yep. put those few verses and then he just goes, uh-oh, am I about to become a Presbyterian? Yeah. Like, yeah, you, yeah, you are. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Anyway, so. No, but it, yeah, it, it, it really helped me make sense of so much of the scriptures just in, in total and even categories like that. And as far as um, people that were significant, obviously I, I mentioned um, Wilson. So, so helpful. So yeah. um, biblical. Um, Sproul is, is huge. I think, yeah. I, I don't know if I've told the story on, on this. Um, um, what are we doing? What's a this podcast. called? A podcast. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Of, of when I went to, to Sproul's church for the first time and he had just been laying a concrete foundation of theology in, in my walk. I just saw him as the most biblical man I'd ever seen. <laughs> and then they baptized a baby. <laughs> as, <laughs> no, seriously. No. I had no category for it. Um, but these years later, um, obviously I, I, um, was, eager to hear from, from Sproul. And, and he, again, he just, so, so helpful. Uh, he, he has a, a little track called uh, what is baptism. Mm. Um, and that's very helpful. Um, J.I. Packer is, is always good. One guy in particular as well, uh, J.C. Ryle. Okay. He has a little chapter in an old, old, well, of course it's an old book. He's like 200 years old, but uh, it's called knots untied. Mm. And it's um, Ryle just speaking into some controversial issues in the church. And one was on, was on baptism. Okay. And, and I think he may have been the first one who, who made the point, kind of the, the argument from silence, where if, if it was true to a Jew that they could no longer, who was becoming a, a Christian, that God did not consider their children part of the covenant community, it, it, it's hard to imagine a more, um, not scandalous. horrifying. I mean, yeah, I mean, th- th- this would have just been so... So scandalous, yeah. and yet there's not a word about that in the New Testament. About the change from the old covenant to the new yeah, covenant of yeah. the inclusion of children. And yeah. so his article there is was helpful. Um, that's that's one of the biggest arguments in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Kevin DeYoung. I mean, I, I appreciate him and what what he wrote on it. And then there was this one uh, letter, and and this actually was the definitive moment for me, um, where after reading it, I said, 
the 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 journey's done. I mean, I'm going to keep learning, but yeah. I I will now acknowledge that this now mm. is my position. Mm. It was um, a letter that a, a a Presbyterian pastor who used to be Baptist wrote to his daughter um, when she was maybe 17, mm. and essentially it was him explaining to her his journey on how he he started here and then ended up here and and why she was baptized mm. as a child um, as an infant, and he just made some really yeah compelling points and um yeah. I, Again, I perhaps if we have resources, I'll, I'll yeah, link we'll put to all it. of these in the in the description. Yeah, for sure. I can't remember for his sure. name. He's not like a you know a, a famous pastor, but yeah, good. that's great. Okay, so that's a that's a very that's a, a pretty comprehensive outline. <laughs> a, it's good, you know. It would take you know how many probably thirty thirty how many forty years to tell your whole life yeah, story. Something um, like that. Forty years. Um, wow. Just forty, right? Just turned forty. Just, yeah, about halfway through. Man, yeah. man. Yeah, not just, but. <clears throat> um, so you are currently an ordained CREC pastor. Mm-hmm. Uh, you planted our church, Pilgrim Hill, three years ago? Yeah, I'm um, coming on three years. Yep. Coming up on three years. Um, so, And we officially became a CREC church just this year. So a, a member church. A member church. Yeah. We were a mission church That's before. Right. And we're officially a member church mm-hmm. now. Uh, so... A lot of folks out of there who are kind of following us along on the they're 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 exploring the Reformation red pill yeah. landscape and they're coming they're hearing guys like Doug Wilson, Toby Sumter, and some other guys in our denomination. Um, I want to give them a little bit of uh, background on what what is the CREC. Mm-hmm. One, first of all, let's actually say why did you plant Pilgrim Hill? Yeah, and then we'll get into uh, why did you plant Pilgrim Hill as a CREC? Yeah, church. yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, I, th- I think it's just a continuation of what we've already been talking about. So all of this was stirring in me. Um, and so I, I was, how I, theologically, I was starting to, to to be in a different position on some important things on on the tradition that I had been a part of or, or the where I had been. Um, and then when all the COVID stuff and all, all that stuff happened, I, I just was starting to feel more and more like I was in a different place from mm-hmm. from where, where I had come. Um and you came from the Acts 29 world, same as me. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, and then a part of, during that time as well, um, we had a, a new members class even last week that, that I shared this with. Um, but I, the way I, I tell the story is um, I received an email from a person I had never met um, with a story that I had never read before. Mm. And it was a story um, starting in the, in the 1600s about a man named Heinrich Kubler um, who was a um a Christian, but um was um where, where he came from was very decimated um by the Thirty Years' War and, and and Catholic oppression on Protestants during that time. Um, a man named William Penn came to to um um tell of this um wonderful free land where you could worship Christ freely. Obviously, Pennsylvania, William Penn, and um uh, Johann's son Heinrich, um or maybe it was his grandson, ended up in the 1700s making the journey from Germany to Pennsylvania. And, um, once he got there, his name became a uh, Kibler. Mm. And, um, it so happens that my grandpa's name is George Kibler. And so what I was reading was, um, the Kibler genealogy wow. and they had already, um, at that time I only had Providence, but it was a hundred page document about Providence is your child. Providence is my child. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. to, to be clear, it's my daughter. Yeah. But they had, it was a, um, a genealogy. They called it the Kibler Chronicles. Uh, starting with Heinrich um, in the 1600s, and they had already added Providence. That was the last wow. person. 
Who and who <laughs> and did this? It, it was a a Kibler in Florida somewhere awesome. who was just putting this all that together. Is so cool. So even on Facebook, they had got pictures of Providence, and already in this doc, I'm looking at my daughter at at the bottom of this story. That's and so cool. It, we all know that we have a story, but to realize, I was born into a Christian home as a Christian in Pennsylvania because 200 years prior. Heinrich did an unspeakably hard thing right. for um, so that I would inherit that. Mm. And that just really reinforced this covenantal generational thinking that um, was happening in me. And meanwhile, the our culture is just going to hell. Mm. I mean, it's just so bad. Um, and I just felt called to, we need to plant, we need to build again. Mm. We, we need to sow seeds now that by grace, our great-grandchildren, if, the, if God was kind, would be able to inherit. So good. And so I, I, I don't want to be downtown. I, I want to have a church in the town I live with or um, live in. Um, and I want to, to plant it on purpose, thinking generationally. Mm. I'm going back to the ancient paths that we've talked about of confessions and creeds and hymnody. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so anyways, that's... I love that. I, I think I want to even pivot there a little bit. You mentioned generational thinking. Um, and whenever I was making the move from California to here, Goodlesville, Hendersonville, Tennessee. And I was praying through and God had providentially, uh, we got into it in other episodes, but um, brought Nashville on the radar. And Mm -hmm. I was looking specifically for a CREC church uh, because one of my best friends and I, we wanted to do ministry together and he's credo, I'm Pedo, and we can do that here in the CREC. Amen. Amen. And, uh, so, but I was looking for a church that I can come help serve at, that I can come bring what gifts and talents God has given me to help serve the church. And I came across y'all's website and the, uh, uh, your mission statement Mm -hmm. says Pilgrim Hill cultivates sturdy, maturing Christians across, I'm sorry, vision statement. (laughs) Pilgrim Hill cultivates sturdy, maturing Christians across generations for the glory of the Lord and the gladdening expansion of his kingdom. Yeah. And something that stood out to me, even when I first read that was that line across generations, yeah. because I feel like I've heard a version of that statement. I mean, in the church planting world, you're thinking of your vision statement, your mission statement. So I, you know, in planting in California, we've looked through a thousand vision statements, mission statements, we're praying through it. And I feel like I saw a version of this vision statement a thousand times without that across mm-hmm. generations yeah. bit, but that across generations phrase um, made this really stand out yeah. in the in the crowd of church vision statements, mm-hmm. as it were. This um, the theological ecclesiological world I came from doesn't seem to champion mm-hmm. generational thinking. Yeah, I mean it's it's just something that that we have lost. I mean we we are a very narcissistic YOLO culture mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. has impacted the, the church's thinking. And so that's part of the reformation yeah. is having the, the vision of Heinrich Kubler to who cares about me, mm. but I want to do something today that then will um, bear fruit in generations to come. And, and so I just wanted to self-consciously, yeah, do something for our grandkids on purpose. I think that's one of the most beautiful, delectable fruit <laughs> of the dark roast reformed mm crowd Mm -hmm. is that there is this self-conscious effort. I think whenever you adopt this covenant view of children, it, it reframes your, your whole thinking, Mm -hmm. but it's not just that. It also relates back to last week's episode 
or I'm sorry, next week's episode because we're shooting early on post-millennialism mm-hmm. because the the covenant thinking makes you think generationally to begin with, but then whenever you take this hopeful eschatology, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it changes the game. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's the the expectation that Christ's kingdom inevitably will expand. Yes. It cannot be conquered. Right. It, it is the mustard seed that will overtake the garden. Um, it just puts things in perspective. My my buddy Alec has talked about it this way. You know, it, it's really hard to turn a really big ship. In the same way, it's really hard to turn a culture a little bit mm-hmm. away from Netflix all the time, whatever comes on, mm. Taylor Swift, everything, whatever, to um, something more classical, something more pious, biblical, a biblical yes. culture. That's really hard to do. Mm-hmm. But maybe our call is to just turn it. And then by grace, our kids and their kids will then actually start to build upon it more and more. Um, well, not only that, but just, I mean, if you take the ship analogy, just the slightest turn yeah. is going to put you yeah. d- going thousands of years down the road. Yeah. You're going an entirely yeah. new direction, way different yeah. than, than the direction you were going before. And I think that is our role is when you don't think long-term like this, you're thinking like, what's the most I can do right now? Mm-hmm. And and I think what you do is you build a kind of straw straw houses mm-hmm. in a bunch of them because you're like, what's the most I can do? I can put it all together, do it really fast. Mm-hmm. Instead of thinking, you know, I like the illustration they use in, in King's Hall with the, the um, cathedral building, mm-hmm. instead of just throwing up shanty towns, we're yeah. actually building beautiful, a beautiful, right. robust culture. And it's one brick at a time. Right. You, you might not actually, you won't get to worship in that cathedral. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. What you did was the bottom of, of what needed to be built. To That's build right. On top of it. That's right. Um, yeah, and I, I, um, I even at at our music training times, mm-hmm. um, I'll often re- remind the saints. So remember, if what we're doing feels suspiciously like work, mm. <laughs> learning to sing in parts, learning harder songs, l- learning new songs that are really old, mm-hmm. um, if it feels like work, that's because it is, mm-hmm. and we're doing this on purpose now so that our kids will not have to, so that this is just the songs they know, but we're having to do the work of, of rebuilding and, and, and recovering yeah, and yeah. reforming. Well, and, and that's, that's such a good word because we, do, we sing hard songs. Mm-hmm. We sing songs that are difficult. And something that I've noticed is now that I've been soaking in the culture of our church for the last eight months mm-hmm. and learning the songs, I've loved, loved, loved learning these old songs. You know, we sing psalms and we sing some older kind of hymns that have stood mm-hmm. the test of time. Yeah. And uh they're difficult but and fugues, you and know, fu- the, the, oh, the, the so fugues are good. glorious. They're they're initially daunting. Yeah. That's where, you know, the 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 voices layer on top of each mm-hmm. other and it's um Oh man, it's but so beautiful. What's amazing? I forgot the who's the guy who ran the first 4 minute mile ever. I can't think of his name. I think that was my probably my grandpa pretty fast. So. <laughs> but it's it, it's a good story because you know scientists said it's physically humanly impossible uh-huh. to run the 4 minute mile. And Hold then my beer. This dude does. I can't think of his name. Ah. Uh, but I think within the next year like seven people did. Yeah. And so yeah. It, it initially seemed impossible and then it's like no. And even in our music training, it's amazing in 20 minutes, mm-hmm. a song that is initially felt so foreign and so complicated. Um, it's like, no, if you just give yourself 20 minutes to really working hard, yep. it's there. And then once it's in your bones, it's there. Well, it, it's for me, what's been so beautiful is rethinking what our corporate worship 
is supposed to be mm-hmm. and what it's supposed to be about. Because I used to think that the corporate worship was about me getting my feels, my spiritual feel goods, mm-hmm. uh, my spiritual yum yums. I used to call them. Mm. <laughs> mm. You know what I'm saying? Spiritual yum yums. <laughs> um, you know, and uh, I used to think that's what it was all about was getting getting that emotional high from a worship experience. But now, it's interesting. I take a ton of joy in so as. Pastor Brooks just said, we practice a song, our hymn of the month, and it's a new difficult song that we're learning. We practice it at Pastor Brooks's house right now, and then we sing it all throughout the month. And for the first several times of singing the song, I'm not in a, what I would consider like a feely kind spiritual of- Spiritual yum yum. I'm not feeling, I'm not, mm, I'm not hitting those <laughs> spiritual yum yums. Um but what I am is I'm I'm in, I'm truly glorying in the fact that my wife and my son get to see me working hard to learn this beautiful music to honor God together corporately and I'm I'm enjoying that piece of it but then after and I'm th- and I'm thinking through the parts a little bit during the worship but then after I do it for 3 4 I do that song 5 mm-hmm. or 6 times then all of a sudden I don't know. Those spiritual yum yums come back. Yeah, you know they. But they're not even yum yums. Now it's a spiritual steak. Oh, it's a steak. Mm. No, truly, because, yeah. because the theology is is so rich and, and yeah, glorious. That's why I find myself like like tearing up as I have now that I've thought I've I've learned the music and now I'm getting to experience the music while meditating on mm-hmm. thinking through the lyrics at the same time, and it's. It's just a different level mm-hmm. of experience. Now, we don't want to be chasing the experiential kind of worship, mm-hmm. but true, robust, godly, biblical, Christ-centered worship it's is moving. an experience. Yeah, It mm-hmm. is. It is moving. It is so good. And so doing the work, you know, it's it's that, uh, you know, the hard work pays off to a much more beautiful mm-hmm. end than kind of just the, let's see if we can hit all the right notes mm-hmm. and the atmosphere gets just right you know that's that feels nice but it doesn't it's not solid mm-hmm. like you say it's not something you pass on to your kids and, and often too it's because you, you at, at our church if the if the congregation isn't, isn't singing then the music's not there i mean we have a piano right but um you you are the instrument mm-hmm. the, the voice of the saints the, the voices of the fathers these mm-hmm. are the the instruments that, that lay the foundation that the women then glorify with their parts and so uh, good yeah oh, i remember so. when you first said that whenever i asked you when i just got here because you know this is a big ecclesiological shift mm-hmm. for me and for a lot of people who are considering going this route um you know, I asked you, well, I'm into the music, all that kind of stuff, but why not just have a band? Mm-hmm. And I remember our discussion, you saying that, uh, you know, it's not that a band is wrong or sinful or anything like that, but like what you just said stood out to me so intensely. Mm. And I think about it a lot where the voices of the saints are the primary instrument of worship. And then you, and then, cause we have a horn, we have a trumpet mm-hmm. sometimes yeah. and um, you know, we'll add in different instruments, but the idea that anything that would detract or distract mm-hmm. from the primary instrument mm-hmm. being our participation as the saints yeah. in worship, we don't want to go that route. Anything right. that would tempt us to distraction. Right. And that was like, a, cl- it just clicked into place for yeah. me. And I was like, yeah, that totally makes sense. Now that's not hating on anyone with a band or anything like that. You, no. you'd make do with what you got. But yeah. even if, even if you're in a band, like, are you thinking through how can this not tempt others to view this as a performance, mm-hmm. and rather to see the saints as their 
they're they are the primary instruments mm-hmm. and their yeah. voices and everything like that. Yep. So that was a huge shift for me. So thank you, yeah. Pastor Brooks. Oh, you're welcome. And <laughs> you're welcome, guys, for that little nugget. That was really from him. Um, okay, so that's why did you plant Pilgrim Hill? Well, so in summary, yeah, you planted Pilgrim Hill because. Um, in summary, because I wanted to create, or I wanted the Lord to cultivate sturdy, maturing Christians across generations for the, his glory and the, in the gladdening expansion of his kingdom. I, I, I wanted to go back to the ancient path, um, to, to create something sturdy that our grandchildren, if God would be kind, mm. could, could inherit. Mm. I love that. So you planted not just a church, you planted a CREC church mm-hmm. and, why don't you just tell, and we'll, we're about to finish up with this, but why don't you just tell our audience, what is the CREC and why did you decide to plant yeah. with the CREC? Yeah. Yeah. So it's a, a denomination, a really small denomination. I think we have maybe less than 150 churches. <laughs> um, so it's, it's a tiny guy. Growing. Yeah, we are. Yeah. Um, it stands for the Communion of Reformed Evangelical Churches. Um, <clears throat> why did I do this? Well, um, I knew I didn't. I wasn't going to plant in the former context I was. Um, I was kind of going in a different direction, but I also knew I didn't want to be independent. Part of what I wanted, the whole reason was I wanted to get tethered to something confessional, denominational, um, so that I wouldn't be doing this from scratch alone, but would be yeah. tethered to to something sturdy. Um, and there really weren't a ton of options, um, especially during COVID and um, this social justice stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, there was so much wavering it felt like in so many places um but there stood the the crec just this stalwart yes stalwart scrappy bunch yeah. <laughs> um and uh really i again i may have told the story forgive forgive me if i have but in, in god's um providence shortly after deciding to plant i went to a conference down in huntsville that vody bacham was was speaking at and uh, i didn't even know it was a crec kind of um conference mm. Um, but I, I show up and, um, there was just 250 men just singing Psalms acapella and it was just so So wonderful. And I was so moved and, and just thought this, this is what I'm longing for Mm. this, this, this. And, um, there was a guy named, um, uh, Larson who was, who had put the uh, conference on and was leading, um, and emceeing it. And uh, just connected with him uh, afterwards, um, because even coming from the Acts 29 non-denominational world, kind of even the process of how do you even get in here? Yeah. How do you plant in this church? What what does ordination look like? I didn't even really know how all of that. It's almost like you're, you're peeking over a wall, but you don't know how to. <laughs> yeah. And so um, Larson was um, just a, a wealth of encouragement and a wealth of information. Mm. Um, and so he really encouraged me that, oh, yeah, you you can absolutely uh, do this. Um, gave me some tips. Um, and then in God's grace, there's one other CREC church in the Nashville area. Pastor Joe Thacker is the pastor there. And uh, I think I just cold emailed him. <laughs> Sounds familiar. Yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> and uh, we set up a call um, and that was really uh, comforting. And then one of the most important and encouraging moments in this whole process that made me realize, yeah, I think the Lord is is calling me here and this is doable, is the um, the presiding minister of our presbytery at that time was Pastor Rob Hatting. Mm. And he actually had gone Baptistic to... Presbyterian to Westminsterian in real time as a pastor at a church that he stayed at. Okay. Um, and so I set up a, a Zoom with him just to 
hear his story because that's kind of what was happening to me. And now yeah. I was planting a church, but it really was this shift. And most of the people who were part of our core group, this was going to be new mm. um, liturgically, um, even theologically yep. in, in some ways. And so he, um, it just kind of felt like a, an older seasoned pastor putting his arm around me and just giving me some wisdom, calling me to to patience, but also courage in the process. And that, yeah, there, there is a seat at the table for you. There's a process here mm-hmm. and you can, you can get on that. Yeah. And, uh, and so I did. And um, here we are. Did you, res- I, I uh, whenever I made this transition from Acts 29 slash Soma, the world I kind of came from into the CREC, I got wor- worried uh, emails and conversations, people yeah. concerned. What is that about? Yeah. Why are people concerned about uh, me or did you got that too? Oh yeah. What was that about? Why, why are people concerned? Yeah. Um, I would say it's primarily because of slander, mm-hmm. um, that the, the CREC has been misrepresented. And then obviously Doug Wilson is the most famous voice in the CREC and, and he has been thoroughly and utterly slandered yeah. to high heaven, yeah. um, about calling him racist and slavery stuff and all of that, that is just untrue. Mm-hmm. Um, there's that, and then there, there's also this tricky bit called federal vision that, um, so really two things is what freaks people out the most, yeah. federal vision and pedo communion. Um, again, those would be episodes in their, in their own right. Um, but I saw that to be really a bogeyman that wasn't scary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that, no, uh, this is right in line with the Westminster chapter 28. I confess the Westminster. Mm-hmm. Um, and... That's, the communion, the child communion? No, so that's going to be on more of federal vision and the understanding of the objectivity yeah. of the covenant. Yeah. And yeah. that baptism is not just a, a nice symbol that makes us think hopeful thoughts that that will someday be true, mm-hmm. but that God is actually, this is actually accomplishing something in real time. Mm. This this child is, is being brought into the covenant community, mm-hmm. um, and we don't just see it as a symbol, but we are trusting God that that grace will actually happen to them. Mm. And again, Westminster 28, six speaks well of the mysterious, um, of, of the timing of all of that, sure. but it's not just a, a, a symbol. Yeah. It yeah. is something objective. God is doing something objective. in that. Yeah. Wouldn't that be more in the, it seems like so many people are, I guess it would be neo-Calvinistic or even kind of gone that Zwingli route where it's just like the, um, the, the mean, these means of grace baptism, the Lord's mm-hmm. Supper are just purely symbolic. Mm-hmm. There's not a real thing that's happening there. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so we're we're gonna want to push back on that. Like I I don't put on the federal vision button or or wave the flag. That was a controversy in two thousand and two. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um I we are Westminsterian. Yep. Um and I also am not afraid of of that because again, I think it's a, a bogeyman um to keep people suspicious of something really good that the Lord is doing in the CREC. Man, I, and there and the there's fruit that speaks to that and that like there are we found out at the at our last presbytery meeting that there's ton, tons of churches that want in mm-hmm. and now it's a matter of like okay, what does that look like mm-hmm. to to expand the CREC mm-hmm. in a way that actually maintains the it's identity healthy, yeah. and healthy, healthy growth healthy. and yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that's really exciting. It's I it, it to me it it feels as though uh it seems as though the CR there's there's a reformation afoot mm-hmm. in the hearts of God's people. And well, and, and even going back to the original question, now that I'm thinking about it, this is truly just riffing. Um, 
I remember thinking these are a people who are reformationally minded on purpose. Yeah. And I believe that a reformation needs to be happening in yes. the church. Um, and I remember leaving my first Presbytery meeting. This is before we were actually in. Um, and um, Pastor Thacker looking at me and saying, um, these are the men that I, I want to be in the trenches with right now. Amen. I, that's, I feel the same, yep. same way. Yep. Oh, that's so good. Well, this was good. <laughs> this was fun. I feel like people now have a have a, a grasp of of the Pastor Brooks that they're asking questions. So for mm. you out there who have theological questions, ecclesiological questions, questions about uh, hardcore music and bands, <laughs> uh, Pastor Brooks is your guy. On, that's right. And uh, yeah, so you can ask us on Twitter. You can ask me on Twitter and I can um, filter out and figure out, okay, what's going to be on the Ask Pastor Brooks episode. Or uh, first priority goes to anyone who is a Patreon supporter. So we have a Patreon for the podcast. If you really want to support what we're doing, go check us out. Support us on Patreon. Turns out creating high-quality, reformational Christian mm -hmm. content is not cheap. Right. And my hope and my dream is actually to do this full-time, help produce podcasts like this. So if you want to support this, Go check us out on Patreon. Yeah, and and even though he says I am the co-host, and I am, uh, Joshua Hames works his butt off to make this stuff happen. And I so, have no butt. <laughs> it's, it's gone. It's, it's gone. off. It's, it's off. off. And so, so, uh, <laughs> so support our slash his efforts here. Well, and with that, we're going to just give you our normal charge. And I say it's normal. It's very exciting. Uh, we pray and we create and craft these resources to help you in your journey, your Reformation Red Pill journey, but ultimately this is so that you would be able to build, defend, and expand the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. And with that, we'll see you on the next episode. Amen.